Amen. What a joy to be together. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. What a joy to be together. This is round two for me and Chris and Jim and Craig, everyone. We were at a Velasquez Park. Well, actually, several of you too. We were at Velasquez Park this morning around 6.15, and I have heard from a trustworthy source that we sang loud enough that at least one person who lived in the apartments heard it when they woke up. So, <laughs> so praise be to God for that. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. I'm, I'm so stoked you guys are here, guys. I, you know, I, I have this weird thing. I think about cultural holidays like this, like, like Christmas and Easter, and there really is kind of this, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Like on the one hand, we have this built-in cultural excuse, right? Like almost an expectation to remember and celebrate the amazing goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, what a beautiful thing, what an amazing thing that we live in a time and a place and a culture that doesn't just allow that, but like celebrates it, right? But on the other hand, holidays bring with them traditions and busyness and travel and family and schedules. And I, I don't know about you guys, but at least in my stage of life, like sometimes that just makes it extra hard to take the time necessary to actually reflect on the wonderful meaning of the holiday, you know? And, and really, like, when you get to Resurrection Sunday, I mean, it's kind of in the title, right? Resurrection Sunday, like the idea of taking the time necessary to consider the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for your heart, what that means for all of reality. Like, man, what an important thing and what an easy thing to miss in the midst of figuring out all the stuff that we have going on on a weekend like this. Thankfully, we're not limited to celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus on just one Sunday a year, right? Like, we get to do that all the time at Emmanuel. Every time we gather, we gather to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. But today is a special invitation to consider the cross, consider the death, and consider the empty tomb again. I want to invite each of you, before we jump into this, I want to, I want to legitimately ask you, like, man, Let's, let's begin our time today by doing our best to slow down. For the next few minutes, regardless of what the rest of your day holds, listen, I promise you, you'll get there and it'll all get done, <laughs> right? You may be as exhausted as me by the time you go to bed tonight, but you'll get through it. So for the next few minutes, let's, let's just all be in this together. Let's be all in. Let's take the time to actually consider this amazing universe-changing story of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, you're going to have to indulge my inner just church historian for a minute because I love this piece. One of a really, really old Christian tradition is that on Resurrection Sunday, the minister says he's risen in the congregation response. He's risen indeed. It's a very old tradition, and I want us to do it. And so I'm going to say that in just a second. This, this tradition, by the way, actually comes from our text today, Luke 24, and the way uh, the, the 120 greeted the travelers to Emmaus when they came back. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say, he's risen. You're going to respond. He's risen indeed. But I, I do need you guys. Like, this is a larger group than was at Sunrise, and I know how loud they were. So I need you to rival that. I know we're in a building, so it's a little harder. But if we could let the neighbors know that Christ is risen, that'd be awesome. So let's do it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. And with that, let me welcome you again 
to Resurrection Sunday. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus three days after his brutal and unjust death on the cross. Because on, on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus, the crucified one, the one who gave up his spirit to the Father on Good Friday, rose and walked out of the grave with all the vestiges of death eliminated from his person. Death could not hold Jesus. It did not have the power or the authority or the ability to keep him. He died and then he rose. Guys, for for all of human history, ever since sin entered the world, death has been the final word on any individual life. And you know that. Everything in your experience affirms that. That is, that is the reality of living in this cursed and dead world. Eventually, we engage and deal with death. And every single one of us, I guarantee, our universal experience is that death gets what's coming to it. This life in this world ends in death, but the Bible teaches that on that Sunday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed the world that he had the power over death that he had authority over the curse, that his work, his teaching, his person, all of it, that that Jesus is sufficient to conquer the old enemy, death. Let me say that again. I'm going to say that a couple times today, guys. Jesus' work on our behalf is sufficient. It's enough. He made a way for us to experience life, to experience freedom, to experience salvation from our sin in him. The creator God of the universe loves us so much, so much that he accomplished this work to his glory and to our blessing. God sent his beloved son to the cross and by the power of his spirit drew him up from the grave. Guys, this is love in action. Truly, this is how we even know what love is. Beloved, God really loves you. Let me, let me say that again. You, God loves you. I mean, don't, don't mishear me on this. Like, I'm not making this vague cosmic statement that God loves his creation. That's true, he does, but I'm talking about you, the creator God of the universe, the one who brought all things into being, the one who sustains reality by an act of his will. Think about that sentence for a second. That God cares for you right now exactly as you are, with all the baggage that you brought into this space, with all the hurts you currently carry, with all your strengths, with all your weaknesses, God really loves you. You. And the empty tomb of Jesus is proof of that love. And it's an invitation, by the way, to respond to that love. I think we all inherently know that love is best when it's responded to. Amen? All right, I've been talking too long. Let's jump into the Word. We're going to turn to Luke 24 today. We're actually going to look at two texts in Luke 24. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have house Bibles scattered throughout the room. You just look underneath the chairs in front of you. You'll find one. 
we really believe in the importance of access to God's word here at Emmanuel. So much so that I would say if you are here today and you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to take one of those or even talk to one of the pastors and we will get you a nicer one uh, than the ones that are under the chairs, right? We're going to be in Luke 24 today. We're going to look at two different texts. We're going to look at one and then talk about it, and then we'll skip a chunk and talk about another text. We're going to use this to just reflect upon the resurrection of Jesus and what that might mean for us today. So uh, start with me here. Luke chapter 24, starting in the first verse, we read this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, it's necessary the son of man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. What a text. Pray with me, church. Father, we ask this morning as we take just a few minutes to reflect on this text, to reflect on your provision in our life, we ask, God, that you would just give us fresh eyes. Especially for those of us who've been in church a long time, who've heard this story so much that it's just, it's just become a cliche in our hearts and our minds. God, I pray that you would cut through that noise, cut through our history and speak to us afresh today, Lord. We know that it is by a work of your spirit that our eyes and our hearts are opened up to the truth of your teaching, to the truth of your gospel. Lord, for those of us in this room who are still exploring, considering, seeking, for those of us who've known you for years, God, draw us to your gospel afresh today. Give us clear eyes to see your love for us. And God, give us us the conviction to actually receive and respond to that love. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Beloved of Jesus, Christ is risen. Excuse me if I'm repeating myself, right? But like, that's what we're getting at today. That's the whole thing. Like, we're just going to say that and celebrate that a bunch. Jesus is risen, and that truth really is that wonderful. His plan to defeat death and win us unto himself, hear this, it succeeded. Jesus' work is sufficient. Such is the love of God for his creation that he intervened in human history, that he didn't allow sin to have the last word on his sinful creatures that he loved, but instead he intervened and he saved us. This is the love of God for us, for you, and you, beloved, can respond to that love. And as I already said, we all know inherently in our gut, love is best when it's reciprocal. Love is at its best when it's mutual. God really loves you, beloved, and you 
can love him back. And that changes everything about how we live life in this world. So what's, what's going on in this text? Well, let's kind of walk through this and then see where this takes us. We're, we're looking at that first Easter Sunday from the perspective of the Gospel of Luke. Hopefully at some point this week you were able to come and kind of walk through the stations and be reminded of the passion story and the suffering leading up to Jesus' death. But, but let me just catch us up so we all know what we're talking about in this text. On Thursday of, of this week, leading up to Easter Sunday, Jesus shared his last meal, the Lord's Supper, with his closest friends. He told them to continue to take of the elements in remembrance of him, to commemorate the giving of his body and his blood on their behalf, to proclaim the sacrifice until his return, which, by the way, we're going to participate in that exact same idea experience today together, continuing that work of the church. Shortly after this meal, Jesus is, in fact, betrayed by one of these same friends. He's handed over to a group of jealous and violent religious leaders who are plotting his death. Thursday night is passed in this absolute sham of a trial, beatings and mocking, and it comes together in the morning with him being brought to the Roman political leader, Pilate, who consents to have Jesus crucified in spite of the lack of any sort of evidence deserving death. Jesus is then publicly tortured and then literally physically nailed to a wooden cross and left to suffer unto his death. After agonizing hours, Jesus cries out to God the Father. He surrenders his spirit and he dies. Alone and abandoned by both his friends and his father, Jesus, sweet Rabbi Jesus, dies as the most wretched of sinners. And that's heavy, right? That's where the story takes us. As the scripture says, for our sake, he being God, made him being Jesus to be sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, died the most wretched death sin could come up with. Our beloved Jesus became sin and died. As the text says, the wages of sin is death. For him to become sin, sin means one thing. It means death. And like that, Christ breathed his last and he died. They take his body down and they buried it as quickly as possible because a special Sabbath was approaching. Once sundown hit, they couldn't touch a dead body because it was unclean. They would miss out on some stuff going on. And so in that moment, all that remained of the rabbi Jesus was an unclean, dead body. And the tomb was sealed and the stone was left. This is Friday evening. Our text picks up at the dawn of Sunday morning. The Sabbath is over. Some of Jesus' most loyal followers come out to honor his body. I think it's worth noting here, we talked about this a little more extensively at the sunrise service, but I think it's worth noting here who actually shows up at the tomb. It's this group of these women who've been following Jesus. It's one of the most faithful people you could imagine. A woman who Jesus had freed from demonic possession and prostitution, a woman who birthed and cared for Jesus and raised him, a woman who financially supported his ministry for years, 
These are the women who come to the tomb on Sunday morning. And it's interesting to note that because these are the women who actually stayed with Jesus to the end. When apostles were fleeing and running and hiding for their lives and denying Christ, it was these women who followed him on the road from the whipping post to Golgotha, who stood vigil with him as he breathed his last and died. It was these women who even noted where his body was taken and where it was buried. And it was these women who got up early on Sunday morning and prepared the ointments and spices to go and give Jesus one last honor. I think it's important to note this. They're coming to mourn Jesus, right? Like in, in full Jewish burial, Jesus would be wrapped in clothes and have spices and ointments put over him, but he wasn't given that dignity because of the coming Sabbath. And so they come to do that. You can imagine them getting up before sunrise and packing their bags full of all the stuff and walking to the graveyard together in the dark. I love this detail. I love this image of these women walking together because it reminds us that the resurrection was nobody's plan, <laughs> right? For them, when they woke up on Easter Sunday, it was a Sunday of mourning. It was a, just the next day in a world without their rabbi Jesus. They thought he was the Messiah, but apparently he wasn't because he died. So they go to the graveyard, fully preparing to experience their mourning and give this honor and move on as best they could. No one expected the resurrection because who would, right? Easter Sunday was nobody's plan except Jesus himself. And by the way, Jesus had planned from this moment from the get-go. This is the narrative of the entirety of the scripture. He knew this was coming. Even as these women came to honor a dead man in their mourning, Jesus was already living and breathing, awaiting them. His heart had already begun to pump. His, his blood was no longer spilling on the ground. It was flowing through his veins. He is alive. But of course they don't expect it. Because who expects the resurrection? Who would consider resurrection to be an honest, viable solution to disaster and tragedy? No one. That's not how the world works. That's not how we think. But when they arrive, everything gets so strange and so wonderful. <laughs> right? They arrive to honor the dead, but they find an empty tomb. And you notice, by the way, Jesus doesn't simply introduce himself to them. Instead, they find angels. I don't know if this is just Jesus like enjoying the drama of the moment, but, but I do love this. He doesn't just introduce himself to him. Instead, they find angels, the messengers of God, who declare to them what happened. And I know this is going to seem like a small point, but I think this is important for us. The resurrection of Jesus is proclaimed to these women. They don't just observe the empty tomb the resurrection, the gospel is proclaimed to them. That may seem like a small detail, but I think it's important because, hear this, right? It's not the empty tomb that saved these women. It's not the empty tomb that brought them to Jesus. Their immediate response to the empty tomb was fear and confusion, as you would assume, right? They didn't walk up to the empty tomb and think, oh, he's risen. That's not your first thought you would think if you found an empty casket somewhere. As astounding as that physical evidence may be, the gospel of Jesus must be proclaimed and believed in faith. 
The love of God for us must be responded to you. Don't get me wrong, right? Like there's nothing wrong with evidence. It, it helps, it's beneficial. But it is faith in the gospel proclaimed that brings us to Christ. This is what we see in the women. When they see the empty tomb, they are perplexed. But the amazing proclamation and reminder of the angels brings them to a place of remembrance. They see They consider Jesus' words. Their eyes are opened and they believe. And look what they do. They go and they tell. They received witness and then they become witnesses. They return to the 12 and they themselves now proclaim the risen Lord. Now, now, it it doesn't work, right? They go and proclaim the risen Lord and the followers, they just think they're crazy because again, that's what you would think. If someone came up to you and said, hey, I know we all witnessed that terrible, unjust death two, three days ago, but I went to the graveyard today and they're alive again, you would go, oh, you are not well. We need to help you. Come, come inside. Let's eat something. Let's call a counselor. Like that's how you would respond to that because it's crazy. And yet these women are compelled to proclaim. They receive the witness. They they believe the gospel and they cannot help but proclaim. Peter goes to check it out and finds the empty tomb and he walks away marveling, confused. Again, not assuming resurrection, assuming this is weird. What a story. I think this first chunk of the narrative shows us several important things about the resurrection of Jesus and specifically Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to list these. I've said these a couple times. I'm going to list these out for us to kind of summarize what we just talked about. I think first we see in this text, nobody expects resurrection as the solution for tragedy, right? That doesn't, that doesn't like vibe with our experience of life. And so that's not the place our mind goes. I think we also see here that faith comes by hearing. The gospel must be proclaimed. There is something that God has designed into the gospel that that includes proclamation, right? Like news this good has to be shared, right? I think we also see here that that proclamation only works if God actually illuminates the truth to the hearer. You see that? We see this actually over and over in this narrative, that God intervenes in the minds and hearts of his people to illuminate the proclamation of the gospel so that the hearer can actually understand and respond to what God is doing. And I think we also see the response of faith in Jesus' work is always going to include further proclamation. You receive witness and then you bear witness. The gospel is such good news that it turns us all into evangelists. Now, the text keeps going here in a chunk that we're actually going to just summarize and skip over. There's this interesting narrative uh, that continues in Luke 24, where essentially it's going to reinforce what we've already seen in Luke 24 and what we've already talked about. So what happens here is you've got these two followers of Jesus. They're, They're part of this group that have been mourning and hiding. And essentially at this point, they just go, look, Jesus died We thought he was Messiah, but apparently he wasn't. This is nuts. We've got to move on with our life. And so they break up camp and they head home. They start traveling to a city called Emmaus. It's really close to Jerusalem. They're walking home to figure out how to continue on in their life. As they're walking, Jesus starts hanging out with them. 
He, he appears and just starts taking a walk with them. And they don't recognize him. And they're just taking a walk together, talking about what's been going on, talking about their sadness, talking about the confusion. His tomb is empty. We don't know what's going on. And Jesus, as they're walking, just begins teaching them the scripture. He takes them to the whole story and just shows what the angels showed to the women. This has been God's plan the entire time. Death and resurrection, this is God's solution to sin. This is God's method of fixing the curse, fixing what sin broke, drawing his people back to him. This has been the plan the whole time. And when they finally get back to these people's house, they sit down for dinner. And right when Jesus prays over the meal, all of a sudden their eyes open and they realize it's Jesus and then he disappears. And there's this amazing piece where they look at each other and they just go, wasn't your spirit burning within you when he was sharing and describing? Like, there's something about the teaching of Jesus and the power of the spirit to illuminate and open our eyes that just lights them up. So much so that they get up from the dinner table and sprint back to Jerusalem. The day's over, night has fallen, but they're like, we've we've got to share this. They've got to know. And so they make their way back to Jerusalem. They make their way back, find the group they had just left, go in the room, and they go, we have insane news to tell you. And they go, hold on, don't share that. We have insane news to tell you. And you can imagine, like, in a movie, they both at the same time are like, Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, that's how this happens. They're, trying, they're so excited telling each other what God has done. And then we're going to pick up the text right after that piece. And starting in verse 36, it says this, as they were saying these things, he, he being Jesus, himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, hold on just a second. Let's reread that. That is the description of a complex emotion. While they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, confused, doubting, super stoked, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? So they give him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and for repentance, for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. I love this. The story is out. Everybody knows God is doing something insane. The people know that Jesus is risen. These two travelers have rushed back to Jerusalem to tell everyone. And as they're all discussing it, Jesus just into the room with them. 
I love that. It's just such a great way to set up the scene. What I think is interesting about this is that in spite of the fact that Jesus has just into the room with them, they're still filled with doubt. Now again, I've repeated this a couple times, but I feel like I need to hammer this home. See, we have 2,000 years of faith tradition pounding the idea of the resurrection of Jesus into our collective consciousness as a church, and even we engage the idea of someone bodily raising from the dead with doubt, right? It's weird. This is day one. This is a new idea. The dead don't raise. So even after all that's happened on Easter Sunday, even with Jesus in the room hanging out with him, they're still doubting. Even in the face of Jesus, they're going, this must be a ghost, a spirit. I don't know what's going on here because the dead don't raise. So Jesus says, well, here, check this out. Look at my wounds. Come, come touch my body. See my wounds. This really is me. I really am with you. And as they're starting to get it, Look at the response, right? This is where that weird, complex mix of emotions comes into the space. They're confused, they're doubtful, they're stoked out of their mind. Could this really be? Is this really what God is doing? And as it begins to sink into their hearts, I love this, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of doubts, they're full of joy. Jesus really is risen. The impossible has happened. And so Jesus, in response to that, eats a snack with them. I love this. They're starting to get it. And so just to drive home this reality, this new reality within which they live, once and for all, Jesus does just about the most human thing a human can do. He asks his friends for a snack, and then he munches on it. I love this. This is no vision This is no ghost. This is no collective trauma-induced hallucination. This is Jesus, their rabbi, their friend, eating fish in their living room, (laughs) right? About as normal of a thing as you can do with your friends hanging out on a Sunday. And then the ministry continues. There in the upper room with all his followers gathered, Jesus does this thing we've already seen. He, he opens their minds to understand his teaching, to understand the scripture. The spirit of God moves through them and gives them the gift of understanding and faith. And by the way, we see here, he does this for a reason. Because the ride isn't over. Jesus' death and resurrection isn't just for this 120 followers and his his close friends. Jesus' gospel, beloved, is a cosmic gospel. It is for all peoples and all places, for all time. Beloved, hear this. The gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the resurrected Christ is good news for everyone, for all people. And now these folk, they get to bear witness. They received the witness from each other. They received the witness from the angels. They received the witness from Christ. And now they get to bear witness. 
And as Luke ends his gospel, we get this miniature picture of Jesus' ascension, right? He gives them final instructions, a final blessing. He returns to heaven from which he'll return again and restore all things. It's a beautiful ending to the text, beautiful ending to the book of Luke. But zone in with me here on the actual ending of this whole text. Because you notice, it doesn't end with Jesus returning to heaven. It ends with the joy of the disciples overflowing into worship and further proclamation. You see this? In these two texts today, we can see this progression of folks' experience of the resurrection. They begin with fear, trepidation, wonder, doubt, which is all, right? It's just like, yeah, I get it. That's understandable. How could anyone not doubt the resurrection? I, I don't know if, I keep saying this, right? like nobody expects the resurrection. I don't know if anyone's getting like a Monty Python joke in their head right now. Just go ahead and let it out. We'll all go, okay, yes, all right. But nobody expects the resurrection. That's human nature, right? It's not anyone's plan for disaster or tragedy. But when Jesus opens their eyes to God's plan laid out over the course of the whole of scripture, there's this movement from fear, trepidation, confusion, to joy, worship, proclamation. Because the reason for this is dead simple. And I think it's what God wants to remind us of this morning. See guys, joy, worship, and proclamation, this is just what you do when you consider the love of God for you. This is the, just like, just like you can relate to these people because doubt, fear, confusion is a normal human reaction to the idea of resurrection. I'm here to tell you guys, joy, worship, proclamation, that is the normal reaction to the beautiful revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is just what you do when you fully consider the love of God for you. Because the cross and the empty tomb are God's love in action for us. They prove beyond the shadow of a doubt the authenticity of God's love and the power of God's love over this world. Do not be mistaken, beloved. It is the love of God that drove the gospel plan. Consider for a moment the most famous verse in all the scripture, right? John 3.16. Why did God send his only son? Why did he send him? What drove all this immense suffering and sacrifice? Because God so loved the world. God loves his creation passionately, deeply, powerfully, and he loves you. Guys, God really loves you. I'm going to end today with this beautiful text from the letter to the Romans. I actually read this at our Good Friday communions gathering, but I can't think of a better way to land out today. This is in Romans 5, starting in verse 6. It says this, while we were still helpless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, someone perhaps might dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, hear that, church. 
while you were still a sinner, still rebellious, still worshiping yourself, still pushing away God's plan and desire for you, still living in death and rebellion, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Beloved, Jesus really does love you that much. He really does. And if you want to come back up, Guys, I want to I end with this idea. We all know this in our hearts. This is a natural inclination of the human heart. We know love is best when it's reciprocated. Love is best when it's responded to. Love is, is about this, this mutual back and forth, this, this call and response, this mutual seeking and loving and serving. Guys, Jesus really loves you, and you can love him as well. You can give your heart to him. As we close out, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give some space for us to pray, and then Jim's going to come up and lead us through communion, and then we'll, we'll end our time with a song. But as, as we take this next few minutes, I want to invite you, please take this moment, just for a few minutes, to pray and talk to Jesus, and to genuinely consider what does it look like for you to love him back? What does it look like for you to respond to the love of Jesus for you today? What's the Spirit telling you? I know for, in a room like this, for some of us, it's going to be as simple as coming to him for the first time in confession and repentance, acknowledging the, the reality that you are a sinner, that it was your sin that drove him to the cross, that you are in need of his forgiveness, his redemption, his salvation. For some of you who are in Christ, that response might just mean coming to Christ afresh in obedience. It might mean actually saying yes to growing in holiness, repenting of sin patterns that have woven their roots deep into your heart, drawing them to the light, bringing them to Christ, not just for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the real repentance that grows you in holiness, that sanctifies you. Some of you guys, that might mean taking further steps of faith, involving yourself in the life of the church, giving yourself over to community or discipleship so that you might know Jesus better. I want you to consider that. What does it look like for you today to love Jesus back? To take a minute in your prayer, consider the empty tomb, Consider the resurrection. Think of these things. Imagine those women walking. Imagine their sorrow turned to worship. Imagine the disciples and their doubts turned to joy. Imagine the love of God for you. And respond. Take a few minutes to pray and then we'll continue our time.